Hello, everyone. Uh, as you know, we're in the uh, middle of our church improvement series, uh, the third week, uh, where we talk about who we are as a church, what we do as a church, why we do the things that we do as a church. Steve started us out by preaching on the call on our lives as, as the church in the Great Commission. Mark preached uh, last week on, on why we're doing what we're doing from Ephesians. And today, I'm going to be preaching about how it is we go about doing what that we do as a church. Um, see, the goals of churches can be very different, uh, and the way that they pursue those goals uh, can be very different. So there can be churches whose primary purpose is to be a place where people can find godly relationships. And those churches are going to emphasize friendliness, forming connections, reducing the barriers that, that come between people. Or there can be churches whose primary purpose is to do good in the world, uh, those churches will uh, emphasize efficiently managing a variety of programs, encouraging generosity, and organizing services. Um, and there, or thirdly, there could be churches who see their primary purpose as maintaining doctrinal fidelity, teaching God's word with precision and accuracy. Uh, these churches are probably going to emphasize rigorous teaching and study. So godly relationships, service, doctrinal fidelity... These are all good things, even, I'd say, necessary things. Um, and, and that's why I chose them as examples, because as, but as good and necessary as these things are, they are not the ultimate thing. See, man's primary purpose isn't to be in godly relationships with other humans. We weren't created with the end goal of doing good service for others in the world. And the main point of our existence isn't to know and organize and clarify certain facts about God disconnected from the experience of knowing him personally uh, through Jesus. Rather, we exist for the purpose of displaying, showing off the glory of God. And see, that's why today's sermon has to be preceded by Mark's sermon last week, right? Which, if you weren't here, is about why we as a church exist. His point, was, uh, his point throughout was that we, this church here, Janesville, River Hills Community Church, believe that we exist for the purpose of displaying the, the, the beauty, the greatness of God, showing the world how amazing and wonderful God is, uh, uh, showing off the beauty and glory of Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, his people, uh, making known to everyone who can hear us or see us that God is good and amazing and living your life to know him is the only life worth living. So, but when once we sort out why we exist, the purpose behind why we're a church and not a country club or a bar or a book club, uh, we need to figure out how we're going to fulfill that purpose. And I think the best place that we could go to see that is in 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. But before we go there, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for our time here today, and uh, thank you that we can come together as a people and worship you, declaring with our songs and our money and our attention and our time that you really are the best thing in the universe, that nothing and no one uh, compares with who you are. Lord, thank you for the way that you are building us up as a church, for the ways that you have provided encouragement for some of us today who need encouragement uh, comfort for those of us who need comfort and, uh, and rebuking, Lord, for those of us who need to flee from sin. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would use your word today to do those things to us through the words that I preach. Lord, we, uh, I desire that you be with me, making me faithful to say what your word says 
uh, cause Christ to be lifted up and shown today so that he would, um, that we would see his glory, that we would desire him most in the world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So make sure you have your Bibles open to 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Uh, just going to be looking at that today. I'm going to reread it here in just a minute so we can all follow along. But first, I want to I tell you guys a story uh, that I hope helps illustrate why what I'm going to talk about today is important. So uh, my family likes to play the board game Settlers of Catan. It's a great game. Uh, the point of the game is to collect and spend resources, advance your civilization, and earn 10 victory points, right? So uh, my kids are all getting better at this game as they get older. But at one point, one of my kids thought the very surest path to victory was to amass as much as a single resource as possible, wheat, that they could. They planned their starting move to get as much wheat as possible, and they spent the game trading for wheat. Uh, they planned their moves to maximize their wheat accumulation. Now, um, you may or not, may not be familiar with this game, but I bet even if you aren't, you can guess the odds of that particular child winning the game. It's not good. Um, but you see, even with an idea of what they ultimately wanted to do, win the game, um, the child needed to understand that the things you do to achieve your purpose matter, right? You can't just do any old thing and expect to win. Um, the same thing goes for us as a church. So even if we all agree that displaying the greatness of God is our primary goal, uh, as Mark pointed out last week, it's, we, we need to decide how we're going to do that. Uh, we can't do every possible thing that a group of people can do together and f expect that we're going to fulfill our purpose of glorifying uh, God and his greatness. And fortunately, we're, we're not left to our own devices to figure out what we're supposed to be doing, right? It's, but rather, God in his mercy has given us his word, the Bible, which is sufficient to tell us everything that we need to know regarding what it means to display his greatness. And, and that's why we're in 2 Corinthians. Um, as a book, uh, it, as a whole, it's about Paul's description of his own ministry, uh, particularly among the churches of Achaia, which was southern Greece. Um, it, and, you know, it's not always a happy book. Um, as a matter of fact, a lot of it, uh, Paul spends reflecting the hardships and the sufferings and the bad things that have happened to him that he's gone through as uh, uh, an apostle. Uh, but it's those hardships, along with the faithful declaration of the gospel, right, that, he's, that leads Paul to say things like, to, the, to, the, to these Christians, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Uh, in chapter 1, verse 7, you see, he sees his ministry, his fulfillment of his mission among this people, this region, as having produced faithful followers of Jesus. Uh, and since much of the book is a reflection of how he did this, in particular this passage, we too can benefit from looking at these inspired words of Paul and seeing the model for our own mission as a church. So let's, I'm going to read the, our today's passage one more time. Follow along with me if you can. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, 
who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, there's one main thing that I think we can learn from this text, uh, and that is that declaring and serving are the mission of the church. That's the mission laid out in 2 Corinthians here, declaring and serving. So what it is that we're declaring, uh, uh, the content of our declaration, it's summed up in another scripture pretty well. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on, a, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Right? That's what we're declaring, the, uh, that God provided a sacrifice for our sins to reconcile us to himself, and that this sacrifice is Jesus, the eternal son who's not dead but alive and coming again someday to finally claim all those whom he purchased. So I could spend our time today laying out and defining what it is that we're declaring. Uh, see, that, that has to do with doctrine. Uh, and today's sermon is not about the specifics of our doctrine. It's about what the mission of declaring looks like, what it feels like. But what about service, right? Declaring and serving. Uh, what's, that's the other piece, serving. So the service we render uh, is summed up really well in another passage, 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Uh, in other words, we serve the same way Jesus did, by dying to ourselves, our desires, our inclinations, and giving them up for the good of others. Uh, and not just other Christians, like you might come away from 1 John 3.16 thinking that, but by all sorts of people, uh, not just Christians. Think of Luke 6.35 and 36, but love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Now, that doesn't say to do good to them just by making sure you tell them the gospel. It says to do good for them by being willing to sacrifice your own financial well-being to help even those who hate you. It's, it's, it's just... So we, we could also spend today's sermon laying out the reasons or, or laying out the ways in which we serve, what, what our service looks like. But really, that would be duplicating the work that our mission teams have done. Our, our, I'm sorry, our ministry teams have done. Uh, they've, they lay out their mission statements, their action plans each year saying, this is the ways we're going to serve. Um, those, those aren't there just to fill up space on a page, right? They're, uh, they're detailed ways uh, how we're going to be trying to serve each other and our community. Um, they're good reads, but I, I really don't want that, the way we serve, to be the content of our focus today. Um, the, today, rather, what I want to lay out is this, um, rather than the specifics of what we're declaring or serving, uh, I want us to see the shape, the flavor, the taste, what this is like. Uh, I think this passage in particular has three characteristics. Without these three characteristics, uh, our declaring and our service, they cease to be Christian. Uh, and so without these characteristics to our declaring in service, we cease to be a church. So my first point is, declaring and serving humbly are the mission of the church. Or is the, or yeah, declaring and serving humbly are the mission of the church. So the first thing to see about that passage as we look at it is that Paul is making his point uh, based on what he has said right before this. Do you see the therefore? You always got to ask, what is it there for? Um, it connects us back to the immediately preceding section. 
uh, he's, he's saying, because of what I've said in chapter 3, this necessary thing follows. So what is it that he said in chapter 3? And what's the necessary thing that follows? Um, well, chapter 3 is about the same thing that Mark preached about last week, the purpose that we're called to. Uh, if you look at chapter 18, uh, or, sorry, chapter 18 of verse 3, just before this, you'll see uh, that the ministry, the work, the mission that we have has the end result that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And so what's the necessary thing that follows? Well, it's that this ministry, the purpose, the end goal that we have, it comes to us by the mercy of God. It's, it's, it's this ministry, this work, uh, the, it comes to us uh, as we look fixedly at Jesus and becoming more and more like him as we find more and more of our joy and our happiness and our glory in him. Uh, Paul starts out by chapter 4 by saying, we have this ministry that has this end, by God's mercy. Not because we're worthy, uh, not because God found something uh, in us that was worth loving. And in fact, we know that the opposite of that is true. If you look at verse 7, right after the, the, the passage, you know, Paul's going to start talking about how we're all jars of clay, right? These plain earthen vessels holding an immeasurable treasure. That it's right. It's, it's, um, and you know, you might come away from th that thinking that uh, he's only talking about the frailty of our human physical bodies. He's not. Later in the same book, he's going to talk about how we, all those who are undergoing this transformative work of displaying Jesus, we were trespassers, enemies of God, in desperate need of reconciliation. See, th this fact that we are clay, jars of clay and that we were once vicious enemies of God. What that means is that our declaring and our serving has to be done humbly. Uh, see, the minute our sermons or our growth group Bible studies or our personal conversations, uh, they, once they start smacking of us knowing better than other people or, or, uh, or we're doing things better than other people or we're feeling things more deeply than those other Christians, we veered off the path of humility. If we know anything, if we're doing anything and if we're feeling anything, it's purely because God is merciful. He chose to be merciful to us, not to others. He chose. We didn't and we don't earn this. We never have and we never will. And, and you know, this humility, this humble declaring service, it isn't just passive as if as I refrain from talking badly about others compared to myself or I refrain from boasting. Uh, it, it, it's an active humility in that I, it causes me to talk freely about my sin, uh, just like Paul does in so many of his letters. Because it's because, and I do that because I don't view myself as having glory and honor in myself that I need to protect, as if I'm not a clay jar, or maybe instead I'm a golden bowl or a fine china vessel that i got to guard. Uh, but rather, I rejoice in saying how amazing a Savior Jesus is, that he would save a sinner like me. I also don't need to talk about how other churches are doing this or that or the other thing wrong, but I can freely acknowledge that, you know, while there are, there are real differences between us and other churches, the thing of real importance is that God has saved all those who call upon the name of the infinitely valuable Jesus. And so I rejoice in the work, God's work, that is going on in all 
in other bodies of believers as well, not just my own. There's There's a reason Paul prefaces this section with a therefore and then talks about the ministry as a merciful, freely given gift. Uh, And the reason is because that without humility, all my declaring is so much pontification. It's hot air. Uh, Without humility, all my service is so much people-pleasing do-gooderness. It might look good, and it might sound good, and, and God might even be pleased to use it in spite of me, uh, but it will be in spite of me. And uh, because more often, what, I, what ends up happening is that I will end up bringing disrepute to the gospel and to Christ if and when my self-righteous hypocrisy and pride become apparent. So think about it this way. Um, what, if, what if I tried to convince you that you, you're new here at church and I try to convince you, you should really get to know Pastor Steve better. I talked to you about how nice he is what positive qualities he has, and all the advantages that could be yours if you get to know Steve better. But then you find out I'm not actually friends with Steve. In fact, I actually avoid him because I can't really stand the things he likes to talk about, and I'm only telling you to be his friend so that you leave me alone and Steve will have somebody to talk to. Um, and, so, and so that you'll think I'm somebody important, somebody connected in the church, right? Okay, so those are, maybe, maybe I did it because of that. How are you going to feel if you find that out? Are you, uh, maybe you'll still get to know Steve, uh, but I will have borne witness because of my pride that I don't really value Steve or you. Uh, and this, the same exact thing goes for the gospel. If I bear witness through my prideful attitude that God's gift to, of grace in Jesus Christ, it's not that good, uh, that I haven't really tasted and seen that it's good, but rather what you think about my preaching or what you think about my Bible studies or what, or, or what you think about the things I say in public prayer, those are the really important things. Do you see what happens? I'm telling you, not with my words, but with my actions, what I think is good and valuable and important. Me, my reputation, not you, not your good, not Jesus. See, we need to kill pride with regular reminders that this ministry we have, it's a gift. Uh, And we don't earn it. We need to be vulnerable about our sin with each other. And we need the example of our leaders, both here from the pulpit and in our growth groups and from each other. Uh, We need to be accountable with people in our church so that we have the practice of sharing how we're not good while receiving encouragement about how good Jesus is in saving us. So let me encourage us to do these things. Don't worry so much about your reputation that you can't share about your sin, your actual sin, the ways you rebel against God, because in in my natural state, we hate him. We don't care to have anything to do with him. Uh, Be open in your growth group about your sin so that others can see that your Savior is good, not you. Uh, it's, it's, um, find a close Christian you can be accountable to so you can fight sin, but also so you can practice being humble with someone who sees Christ in your humility. Uh, uh, and don't hold up our pastors or elders or leaders of our church on some sort of pedestal. As, remember, we're sinners. <laughs> and, and this church is a church not because we're good people, Uh, but because God chose us and put us together and he is good and he is in the process of making us like himself. 
So that's my first point. Declaring and serving humbly is the mission of the church. The second point is declaring and serving with Christ as our focus is the mission of the church. With Christ as our focus. So think about what Paul is saying when he says that he and his fellow workers have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. What does that mean? Well, think, about, think also what he says when he says, we proclaim not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord. What he's saying is that we as Christians, when either declaring or serving, we're keeping the focus on Jesus, not ourselves, not pet topics, not entertaining people, not selling them their best life now, not providing self-help pep talks. We keep the focus on Christ. See, as we declare and serve, we keep a firm focus on Christ. We talk about who he is. What he, uh, we talk about what he's done for us. We talk about what he says. We stay laser-focused on the thing that sets us apart from other uh, groups of people, like social clubs, gatherings, causes, movements. And so what does that look like? What does that, that type of focus look like? I think it helps us to kind of think about the things that it, that it rules out, that type of focus rules out. For instance, um, if you come to our church and you feel very entertained for the greater part of the service, but you don't come away with a deeper love for Jesus, you fail to keep the focus on Christ. Um, or if I, if I preach a sermon and you come away with the distinct impression that the point of the passage is how you can make yourself a better person who serves God better and lives a better life here on earth, I failed to keep the focus on Christ. Or if you sing here on Sunday and you feel your emotions soaring in triumph as you belt out the music, but those emotions aren't vitally connected to the saving work and person of Jesus, you've lost focus on Christ. Or how about our service? How can we lose focus on who Jesus is in our service? Well, if my service, my acts of love look pretty much like my non-Christian neighbor's acts of love and appear to be happening for pretty much the same reasons, um, I'm not really keeping the focus on Christ. Or if our church engages in outreach and it uh, serves in the community primarily so that people will think we're nice people doing good things, and we have a good reputation in the community, Christ isn't the focus. It's about who gets the credit. It's about who gets the glory. Is it me? Is the focus on me, what I'm doing, what we're doing? Or is the focus on Christ, what he's done, what he's doing? You see, if you've been coming to River Hills long enough, you'll, I hope that you'll see this Christward focus worked out in what we think are several practical ways in our church. We, see, we try to minimize the type of media that we use during sermons because we want the focus not to be on entertainment but on God's word, what it says, what it is telling us. Or, or when I preach or others, we, we don't, I don't want to make it my goal to tickle anyone's ears by loading down my sermon with jokes or funny anecdotes or stories. And there's not anything wrong with jokes or anecdotes or funny stories or getting a chuckle from the congregation, right? I'm not saying that's a bad thing, uh, but everything about what we do here today in this service needs to help us focus on Jesus, who he is, what he's done for us, whether it's the music or the preaching or the way we take offering or do communion. It needs to help us see Jesus better and more clearly. I'd like to challenge us, because I think those are kind of low-hanging fruit. 
easily identifiable ways, it's possible to lose focus on Christ. It's, it's really easy. Trust me, it's very easy. Point outside our church and identify uh, these things and condemn others for them, right? Uh, Joel Olstein, look at how bad he is with all his focus on worldly prosperity and no focus on Jesus or the real Jesus. Or look at those mega churches who are holding Sunday morning gatherings that look more like rock concerts than worship services. See, the loss of focus on Christ is wrong no matter where it happens. And it's sometimes good and right and helpful to point it out. But what about us? Where do we struggle to keep the focus on Christ? Do we emphasize intellectual assent with good doctrine and uh, our ways of organizing that doctrine so much that it becomes the focus instead of the person who that doctrine is about? I think we've struggled with that. Do we emphasize the things that about us that are similar uh, so that our church only seems like a place for younger married people with younger children who homeschool instead of a church for all those who affirm the essential doctrines of our faith and thus are bound to us closer than blood relations despite being different in politics, education, income, and lifestyle. And I, I think we've, we've had problems and struggle with that in the past too. Let's go deeper still because once again, it's easy to point at other people, Right? Uh, I, even in my own church, and separate myself from them and say, that's their problem, that's not my problem. Do I come to Sunday morning worship with my focus, not on Christ, but on learning something new to fill the library of my knowledge? Do I come with the goal of evaluating, sitting in judgment, criticizing how good the service is today? Do I come to have my emotions shifted by good music? Do I come to socialize and see my friends my focus on making sure my kids behave so people will admire my parenting and see how well I'm doing training my children. You see, your and my problem, our biggest problem, isn't what's wrong out there. Uh, my biggest problem isn't the things that are wrong with my church even. My biggest problem is my sin. It constantly lies to me, and it tells me that everything and anything is more worthy of my time and attention and energy than Jesus is. It promises happiness in people's opinions and their regard and in more knowledge and in a whole host of other things. But the thing I need to be talking and thinking about most is the person who saved me from my sin and adopted me as his child and is taking me to live with him forever. Uh, Paul understands that we have such a tendency to get distracted, so he makes sure the readers of, this, of his letter understand we need to guard against certain practices, certain things. We need to guard against sliding in entertainment and ear-tickling in a disgraceful and underhanded way, attempt to promote ourselves instead of Jesus. Uh, we need to guard against proclaiming ourselves or anything as the thing that will provide true meaning and happiness to our lives besides him. And so what does this look like for each of us? How does that work out? Well, it might mean uh, I need to work on what I expect on getting, uh, get out of coming to church on Sunday. Am I expecting to be amused, entertained, educated intellectually? Or am I expecting to see Jesus held up for my worship? Do our kids, our own, and those, those we know in our lives, do they know that the reason that we exist as a church the reason mom and dad participate and make them participate in the life of the church, uh, too, is that we love Jesus more than anyone, and we love being with his people to worship together. Or do they just see us fulfilling a social obligation, doing what good people do? 
So there are many things, there's so many things that distract us and take our focus off of Christ. But we want to be intentional, especially here, especially at this assembly of God's people, to keep the focus where it belongs, on him. So declaring and serving humbly are the mission of the church. Declaring and serving with Christ as, the, as our focus is the mission of the church. And finally, declaring and serving inseparably is the mission of the church. What am I saying? What I'm saying is that the two things, serving and declaring, the two pieces, these two things need to be done together to fulfill our mission as a church. They cannot be separated. Um, we believe that we cannot be a church on the one hand that displays God's glory if we only declare the truths of the gospel but never serve. Uh, nor can we be a church that displays God's glory if we only serve people but never declare the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. How do I conclude that from the text? Well, look with me at verses 2 and 3. See, there's a direct link between what Paul says in verse 2 and what he says in verse 3, uh, where he talks about refusing to practice certain things and commending uh, ourselves to everyone's conscience. Uh, do, you, do you see where he's making that, that we're making this open statement of truth that is declaring, and we're doing that with the result uh, of commending ourselves to people's consciences? So what does that mean? Well, I think it simply means uh, we're not trying to trick people into believing in Jesus, right? We're not using uh, clever marketing schemes. Uh, we're trying to manipulate people. We're saying who Jesus is, who we are, and what Jesus has done for us. Uh, clear and simple. We say it because we believe it, and we believe it, so we say it. Um, it's, uh, the end result is that people see the consistency of our lives and our message, and we are commended to their consciences with one important caveat in verse 3. But the normal course of events is that people do not walk away from Christians who are talking about Jesus and feel like we're attempted, we've attempted to manipulate them or be clever than them, or we're just trying to sell them the idea that we're Holy Joes and they should be too. Uh, our lives and what we say match. Uh, that's the normal way things work, that Paul talks about them working, but there is a caveat. Uh, see what Paul says in verse 3? When this approach doesn't work, uh, when our gospel is veiled, when it doesn't look like good news, right? That's the, what gospel means in Greek, is good news. When it backfires and our gospel doesn't look like good news, it doesn't sound like good news, and we as Christians are not commended to their conscience, um, we shouldn't be surprised, right? That's why this was written. We shouldn't, so we don't, Paul doesn't want us to be surprised. Uh, their, their minds are blinded, just like ours were before God had mercy on us. Uh, they don't see correctly. God has permitted Satan to, to blind their eyes to his glory in the gospel of Jesus. Uh, this has been the case for humans since the fall. Uh, it's not surprising, and we shouldn't be discouraged by it. It doesn't stop us from saying the things we know to be true about ourselves and our Savior, and it's not a reason to stop serving. Uh, so we don't stop serving or declaring when people react negatively to our message and to our service because a negative reaction doesn't necessarily mean we've messed something up. However, when people react negatively to us, it is a good opportunity to take stock when they react to our declaring and serving. Uh, are we experiencing the reality that this world is enthralled to Satan and to sin or have we slipped into proclaiming ourselves? It's a valid question to be asking. Um, See, the, 
Paul is telling us right there in verse 5 that the way that we recognize, uh, the way that the world recognizes that we are proclaiming Jesus and not ourselves is that an indelible part of our message is that we are servants for Jesus' sake. Servants. We don't do what we do because we are the masters of our fates, the intelligent and capable people who have gotten this gospel right, and we're here to make sure you get it right too. We don't do what we do for the sake of bettering our own situation, financially or otherwise. We don't do what we do so that the world will suit us more comfortably. See, our service is different. Our service is linked to our declaration so tightly, not because we do so much of it or it's such an obvious thing about us. Uh, Rather, our service is different. It's Christian service because it's so obvious that we gain nothing for ourselves. We have no expectation of a return from, uh, from those we serve or those who see us serve. Jesus gets the glory from our service, not us. Uh, people see how good he is, that his people would do what they do for his sake. Now, we, there's plenty of real-life examples of this happening all around us. And, and you see, uh, think about, uh, consider the story of Gail Williams. She was an occupational therapist born in Britain in 1973, and she died in 2008 working with disabled, blind, and deaf children in Afghanistan. She wasn't a missionary. Uh, She was murdered there because some people thought that she was proselytizing Muslims, but she wasn't. She was working out her biblical belief that to love Christ means to love people and lay down your life in sacrificial service to them. Uh, she, She wrote this in an email to a friend. God has an amazing plan for this country, and even though things so often look hopeless and we can focus on him, knowing that he is able to see his plans and purposes fulfilled in Afghanistan. And after she died, a friend at her funeral recounted what had motivated Gail. The friend said that Gail said this, these bodies are only temporary. When I get to heaven, I'll have a new body. What about our missionaries we support as a church? Read their prayer requests and their updates that they send us, and you will see the care and concern for the well-being of the people that God has laid on their hearts. Look at their ministries and see years of life given, comfort sacrificed, extended families left behind, hardships joyfully accepted. And why? Because they have found Jesus to be the all-satisfying purpose of life, and they know he's worth giving up everything for. And come closer to home. How about what Pastor Ken did for two years here for us as an interim pastor? You know, we, we paid him what we could and, and what we had contracted with this organization to pay. But Ken was an experienced and skilled senior pastor who has led and grown and helped far larger churches than River Hills. So why did he come here and sacrifice two years of his life? Why did he sacrifice the comfort of being in his own home and in his own community? Well, he did it because he loved Jesus. And he loved laying down his life in service to the people of Jesus who needed his particular gifts. He didn't need his own home and comfort and community because he has a Savior who has shown him amazing grace. And that's what lets him lay down his life in service to congregations like ours. We can come even closer to home. How about the worship team, the welcome team, the prayer team? People could have used a little more sleep this morning or a little more time during the week, a little more relaxed of a Sunday morning. But they gladly laid that down so they could serve the people of God here this morning and lead us in singing or service communion or watch our children in the nursery, 
pray for us today. See, God is calling you to both declaration and service. We don't get to choose one and say that the other is for other people, other Christians. Uh, we, see, we can declare all the ex, all, like experts, all the facts of the gospel to the T. But until we pair it with humble service that treats others better than ourselves, people will see us for the hypocrites that we are. And we can, serve, we can also serve others to the point of exhaustion, till we drop. But if we aren't letting others know that it's for the sake of Christ, his love for us, and those he's brought into our lives, we run the risk of trying to rob him of the glory and take the credit for ourselves. See, and I'm not saying that we leave this place and I get home and we're making lunch for my kids and I say, I'm only warming up these leftovers for you because I love Jesus. Or uh, to my wife, I'm only buying you this birthday present because I love Jesus. Or my boss, I'm only working diligently for you because I love Jesus. Uh, But we each and every one of us do need to be thinking about how those in our lives those who we bump into as we go, how we can help them see that our service isn't proclaiming ourselves. Uh, it isn't done so that you will think I'm something special, um, but how it can be or maybe lead to an opportunity to show how Jesus is something special because of what he did for me, what he is making me into, a person who loves to love other people and give my life in service to them. So when you leave here today, Think about the declaration and the service Jesus is calling you to. Uh, Many of us here are good at declaring the facts of the gospel to our spouses and children. Are we just as good at serving them by turning off the game or putting down the project or stopping scrolling on the phone? Instead, pick up a dishcloth or a storybook to read to my kids or snow shovel to help my neighbors. Or are we experts at serving them by cooking meals and working at a grueling job, but secretly loving the honor that comes our way because we look like we're good people and we, never have to have a, and we never have a concern to show them that the deepest reason I work so hard for them is because Jesus has put a love for them in my heart. We'll, we'll know what's driving us when we see how our hearts respond when there is no glory in it for us, no credit, no praise, and no one sees what hardworking servants we are. Are we really concerned with making sure Christ gets the glory and as his character is built in us and shown in us? Uh, not to point to what we've done so others can see what good people we are. Or do we consider ourselves above certain service in the church? It's a good question to ask. Have we forgotten that what we seek is to prove ourselves faithful, not prove ourselves competent or necessary or talented, Do we pass over opportunities to serve because our gifting lies elsewhere? I've said that. When really the only gifting you need is the ability to pick up a snow shovel or watch some kids for an hour and a half. Uh, Doing it, knowing that the service, any service done with a love for Jesus and people and a desire to honor him is part of fulfilling the very reason we exist. You could consider the flip side of that. Do we consider ourselves like Moses, slow of speech and tongue? So we can't really be the ones being meant to declare who Jesus is and what he's done for us. That's the job of other Christians. Let me ask, do we find the same slowness of speech and tongue when it comes to politics, our favorite sports, newest homeschool curriculum, our latest crafting project, our car, our favorite video game? 
Do we really have a problem declaring what we love, or do we just have a problem loving Jesus? See, I, I find that I do stand convicted of a lukewarm, lukewarm love for Christ. That what's, that's what makes me hesitant to give him the credit for the good things I do by declaring how great he is, or engaging in selfish service that de- silently declares, I'm a good person. I find also that I stand convicted of declaring who Jesus is while lacking the sacrificial service that backs up my words. But by God's grace, I know what I ought to do and I seek to do it more. I fight the urge to take credit for my own goodness and I fight the urge to make declaring the gospel the sum total of my Christian work. But how can I do this? Right? How can any of us do this? Well, Because of verse 6. Verse 6 takes us full circle. For God. For God has shown a light into our hearts. We didn't make this happen. So we don't get the credit. We don't get the glory for our salvation. Any more than we get the the credit for God saying, let there be light at the beginning of creation and there being light. He gets the credit. Jesus paid the penalty for our sins and he put his spirit in our hearts and made us his children and put us together as a church and he is working in all those who are his children so that not only have we had the veil lifted and seen the light, but we too now have light to share. What an amazing thing, right? What an amazing gift and what a motivation for declaring and serving. See, declaring and serving humbly are the mission of the church. Declaring and serving with Christ as our focus is the mission of the church. And declaring and serving inseparably is the mission of the church. Humble service is where Jesus gets the credit and is the unmistakable authenticator of what we declare. When I get the credit, there's nothing particularly Christian about it. But when Jesus gets the credit, it provides convincing proof that he is something special that he is glorious, that he is worth something, that he is worth everything. I pray that that would be true of us here at River Hills Community Church. Please pray with me. Lord, we know that this work is not something that we can manufacture in ourselves. This is not a, uh, a mere change in outward appearances, Lord, but this requires you doing a work in our hearts, Lord. We know that that our hearts, in their own natural state, love anything and everything besides Jesus. And so, we, Lord, we thank you for the work that you've done that has changed our hearts, that has caused us to taste and see that the Lord is good. And, Lord, we pray that you would grow that taste in us, that you would cause our desire to know Jesus to grow and grow and then to pour out in love for others as we look at our Savior and see his goodness and his greatness and his glory in his sacrificial love for us, Lord, that we would seek to imitate that out of our deep love and satisfaction in who he is. Lord, help us to go forth today and for the rest of our lives, ready to declare and to serve, knowing that this is what it means to look like your people. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us strength. You send your spirit in our lives to do this work. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.